Okay, guys, good to see you guys tonight. Um, man, what a blessing just to be able to gather in the house of the Lord. Amen. Just to take a break from the busyness of the week, huddle together with our family, worship God together, open the Word of God together. Amen. So I hope you're excited to do that. Let's um, open to 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, 1 Peter 5, as, as you guys know, probably for the most part anyway, um, I've just got a few more Wednesdays while we're here on island, and um, kind of just, thank you, <laughs> I heard a aw. Um, we are, so I, anyway, each week I'm just kind of, I'm trying to just seek the Lord for what that word is for each Wednesday night leading up to that. So um, I was actually studying for something else um, and in the process of that, I really felt like God gave me a word for tonight. And it's one of those guys, listen, everybody's going everybody's gonna to benefit from this because it's the word of God. But then there's also times when God wants to speak to a few people real directly. You guys know what I'm talking about? That rhema word, that prophetic word. And I really just, before we even start, I want to say that I really feel like there's a couple people in here, which is safe to say when you see the topic, you'll know why. It's like, it's like some stretch, but I really did feel like the Lord impressed upon my heart that there's a few people maybe in here that really need to hear this word tonight. We're going to talk about anxiety, worry, stress, so clearly it doesn't apply to the life we're living. No. I'm going to read two verses from 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to ask everyone to stand with me right now. Stand on up, Bibles in hand. We're going to stand in reverence of God's holy word. And since we're only reading two verses, I'm not going to have you standing for very long. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and verse 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Verse 7 once more. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Father, you know between us, how much you've ministered this verse to my life this week. And I, I really want to share it in a way that is accurate and anointed. And that's beyond me. So, Lord, I just look to you, Holy Spirit, to make this come alive in our lives tonight. And I need you to help me to do that. And I want to pray for each one of us that we would just have tender hearts to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And then once we hear the word, God, would you help us react the right way? It's, it's kind of dumb to just hear the Bible and not, not respond correctly. So help us to not be hearers only, but doers of your word tonight. So yeah, I ask this in the name of your Son and my Savior, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. Yeah, like I said, um, you know, Verse 7 is kind of the key there, casting all your anxieties on him. I think it's fair to say that we live in a world right now where worry and concern and anxiety is kind of off the chart. Can we agree to that? Yeah. I mean, you think about just several months ago in March when 
the whole coronavirus thing changed the world forever. Um, and you think about the, 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 the various components and fallout connected to that. You know, you think about the shutdown of the economy and how that trickles down into your maybe business or your job or, you know, your finances and your plans for the future or you were going to school and now you can't go to school and now what are you going to do for your future and what is, the industry I was going to go in is now shifting and, and I was going to get married and we were having a big marriage and now no one can come to my wedding ceremony and on and on and on it goes, and I'm cooped up inside, and I'm fragile to begin with, and now I'm alone with my thoughts for two weeks, you know, um, and, and you can just pick any one of these things, and in some level, we've probably all been affected a little bit, but I mean, then you just add life in general, then you throw in an election year into it, and you throw in the future, and you throw all these things, guys. And every single one of us, at some level and in some way, wrestle with anxieties and stresses and things of life. So for me, you know, by the way, before I move on too quickly on that, coronavirus, you know, aside, out of the picture, just normal life is stressful. Normal life can cause anxiety to go off the charts. And... So, when I read a verse like 1 Peter 5, 7, casting your cares, your anxieties upon him because he cares for you, I mean, just reading that, didn't you almost feel a collective sigh of like, oh, that's right. We can cast our anxieties on him. It's like, and, and to me, 1 Peter 5, 7 is like an old friend that has come to my rescue Time and time again over my Christian life, when I'm feeling those anxieties, when I'm up against something, overwhelmed, and somehow in some way the Lord will minister that verse to me. And, and, and he, this old friend of mine has, has been a companion, <laughs> got me through some tough times. And for a lot of you guys in here, this is, you've heard that verse, you've quoted that verse, you've maybe like me taught that verse to people. Um, but for some of you, maybe it's brand new. In fact, if, it is, if, if this is a brand new verse for you, I, I feel honored. I feel like I get to introduce you to it. In fact, brothers and sisters, 1 Peter 5, 7. 1 Peter 5, 7, brothers and sisters. Like, I feel like I just honored to introduce you. I hope you have a long-lasting relationship with one another. You get the point, guys. This is, it's a refreshing, it's one of those just goes, oh, man, so good. And we're going to talk about it. I want to dissect it a little bit. Um, but here's the thing that's interesting about this verse as I was revisiting it. Um, the, the interesting thing about verse 7 is it's such a standalone verse. I mean, when we quote this, that's the part we quote. But the reality is, is that verse 7 is vitally connected to its context, which is verse 6. Verse 7 that imperative of casting your cares upon the Lord for cares for you is the second part of a sentence that has another imperative in verse 6 where it says, humble yourselves under the almighty hand of God and when the proper time is, he'll, he'll exalt you. And the point I want to make is as wonderful and good and right as it is to quote 1 Peter 5, 7 and enjoy that, we actually can't understand 
apply and enjoy verse 7 unless we fully understand, apply, and enjoy verse 6 because they go hand in hand. Amen? And by the way, for you people, young or old, that want to teach Bible studies or interested in Bible, context is king. It's an old saying, but it's a good one. It's kind of like the equivalent if you're in real estate, location, location, location. Um, For the Bible, it's context, context, context. And so this falls into some context. Not only is verse 7 dependent upon the context of verse 6, but both of those verses fall into a deeper context. I want to talk about that. In fact, look at verse 6 for a second. Um, I'm reading from the ESV where it says, Humble yourselves, therefore. Other versions start with the therefore. Therefore, humble yourselves. It doesn't really matter. The therefore is a connecting word. It connects what he's about to say with what's already been said. Now, the immediate context of what's being said in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5, Peter has been talking to the leadership of the churches that he's writing to, and I'll talk about that in a second. And he's basically addressing the elders, the pastors, the bishops, the overseers spiritually of the flock. And he's exhorting them on how to lead and what to do, what not to do. That's not our topic for tonight, so I'll let it lie. And then he turns the attention to not only the leaders, but to those who are being led. He calls them the younger. And it doesn't just mean younger in age. He's talking about those who are under the leadership of the elders. And he says to them, you need to submit to your spiritual leadership, in essence. And then to both groups, he says, but here's what you need to do. Clothe yourselves in humility, because that's how it's going to work. And so that's the, the immediate context. But there's a larger context to that. And, in, and I'm not trying to, like, split hairs or lose you on these things. But I believe in verse 6, when he says, therefore, it's not necessarily connecting to the, the, the previous verses. It's actually speaking to the greater context, the theme of the entire book. The theme of the entire book. What is the theme of 1 Peter 5? I'm really glad you asked. The theme of 1 Peter, actually, is this. Peter, and this is, by the way, the Peter. Like, Peter, Peter, Peter. Like, upon this rock I'll build my church, Peter. Like, I'll never deny you, Peter. Like, <laughs> that Peter. And he's writing this church later, excuse me, this letter later on in his life to several churches that have, or Christians, rather, Several churches, meaning like just to Christians in general, in churches that had been scattered all throughout what we would call today northern Turkey, that whole area geographically. And he's writing to them specifically because they've been scattered. What, is that? what do you mean they've been scattered? The year is about A.D. 64, and the, the person on the throne in Rome is a guy by the name of Caesar Nero. And we don't have time to get into his whole history, but you may or may not remember in history that Caesar Nero, uh, along with being an absolute madman, um, launched a very systematic and direct persecution against Christians. This letter was written probably, most scholars agree that I've read, um, This letter was written actually before that, that the full-on onslaught of persecution from Caesar from the top down had not quite happened yet, but what was happening is everything leading up to that. So there's a whole attitude towards Christians. There's abuse towards Christians. There's marginalizing of Christians. There's discriminating against Christians. Oh, you're a, a Christ follower? You don't get this job? Oh, we're going to fire you? We're going to take your home? Like there's all those other things that were, were starting to happen 
just for being called a Christian. You know, I was, uh, my wife and I read a, a little picture Bible, uh, a picture Bible to uh, our son each night. And last night we were, we're in the New Testament and it has these pictures of like Paul. And here's a picture of Paul like laying on the floor, you know, with guys laying around him. I'm like, hey, this is Paul when they threw rocks at him and tried to kill him. And you're trying to explain to a four-year-old because he believed in Jesus. Why would you teach your four-year-old that? I'll tell you why. Because I want my four-year-old to have a proper theology of suffering at a young age. Because the reality is, is that this is what Christian, this is what we're signing up for. Not everybody loves Jesus. And because you love Jesus, not everybody's going to love you. My point is, is that persecution was happening to these guys and they're scattered. Now, here's the reality. When they were feeling the when Christianity got real for them and suffering and they're losing jobs and losing money and now the welfare of their kids and their house and they're, they're being marginalized and pushed aside and being blamed for things by, by Rome that they didn't do and things like that, their temptation was to pull back. The temptation was to just kind of blend in, not really live for Christ. And guys, that's a very real temptation. True or not true? Just in the very sliver of example you have at school or at work or in the political realm or wherever it is, standing up for Christ, we are feeling, in a maybe a lesser sense, by the way, what they were feeling. There's not a full-blown persecution in America, but you would have to be not engaged at all in Christianity to not feel that that pressure is coming. Yes or no? Marginalization, abuse, you know, targeting those things. The point is, is that these guys were human and they were really scared and they were feeling the pressure. So back to my point, it is pertinent to our application, by the way. Peter is in writing First Peter in an effort to encourage them, to encourage them to endure, to encourage them to keep their eyes on the future, to encourage them to live a holy life, to not compromise. In fact, very interestingly, if you go through the book of First Peter, um, there's a theme of suffering and glory. Those two words go together back and forth all through Peter. Suffering and glory. Suffering and glory. And in essence, what he was trying to do is say, suffer well. Hang in there because there's a future glory that's coming. And he's encouraging them. He's encouraging them. He's encouraging them. The reason I spend the time to develop that and to tell you that that's the major context and theme of the book of Peter is because that's, I believe, what verse 6 and 7 are, are addressing people that are being persecuted and need encouraged. And he says to them, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he might humble you. Now, I want to explain this. This verse came alive to me this week. First of all, let's talk about humility for a second. He says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. I'll pull this all together in a, in a moment, but uh, let me talk a, a, about a couple things first. Um, humility. Interesting topic. We could probably spend weeks on this, but when you think about humility, and, and its base definition, it just means to be brought low. It means to be abased. It means to be of low degree. Humility. And, you know, in Christianity, in our circles, when you talk about humility, we lift it up on high as like a great thing, right? Like, yes or no? 
Like, we look at humility as like a good thing. Like, that's a good virtue. That's awesome, right? Because Jesus, our founder, if you want to put it in those terms, our Savior, is humility personified. He is God, yet he emptied himself, not of his divinity, but of his glory, and clothed himself with humanity and became a man, not just a man, but a poor man, not just a poor man, but a really poor man, and he died. He didn't die any death. He died the death of a cross. He lived this life where it says he, you know, didn't find it robbery to be equal with God, but lowered himself. He's God, but he served us. He is humble, in fact, the only autobiographical statement that Jesus ever makes in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight says, come unto me, I'm lowly and meek, I'm humble. That, that's what he says about himself. So in Christianity, we look at humility and we're like, oh, that, yes, humility is a good thing. In the Greek culture, they did not look at humility in that light. They looked at humility as weakness. And guys, here's the thing. In our culture, we kind of do too. Oh, we all like being around humble people. But we don't necessarily push humility out there as like this leading virtue. You know, you don't, you don't, be, you know, you don't see sports teams that are like, get out there and be humble, guys. Let's go. You know, when you're, in, you're training to get the job, they're not like, okay, what you want to do is in your interview, you want to go in there humble. No. <laughs> they're like, sell yourself. Put yourself out there. Come on. Put your best foot forward. Show them what you got. This is you. It's your time. It's your, you shine. It's all about us, Right? We have that same sense, so there's kind of a tug of war of that. But, but you know, in reality, humility, we've got to be careful because when you start talking about humility, there's, there's a false humility that can be out there. What's, a false humility is wanting to appear lowly and abased, but in reality, you're just saying, I, I, don't, I just want to come off that way. I don't want to put myself out there too much. I'll try to just think lower or present myself lower than I really am. Humility is not thinking lower of yourself than you ought to. Humility is just not thinking of yourself. Humility is a, or excuse me, the opposite of humility is a self-centeredness. And just be, you know, it doesn't mean you have to be like the proverbial LeBron James guy out there or whatever, just like boasting and, and braggadocious and all. Braggadocious, when's the last time you used that word? Anyways, um, we all look at that and go, that's not humility. But you know what? You know what else is not humility? You can look real humble and look real spiritual and talk in soft tones and use King James language and want to come off real humble. But inside of you, what's really going on? You're really proud of how humble you are. You know, you're really... Did you hear about the guy who got, a, you know, he's a deacon in his church, and he got a tag, a little button, you know, a little award, like the most humble of the deacons, and he wore it, and then they took it away from him the first day he wore it. For I'm just kidding. That's not true. Um, so this idea of, you know, let me put it to you in these terms. We all like the idea of being humble, but, but you, know what, you know what the root word of humiliation is? Humility. You know how you get... Humility through humiliation. <laughs> you have to be humbled sometimes. And I think about Isaiah when he saw Jesus on the throne, and it was Jesus that he saw in Isaiah 6. John 12 tells us that. What did he say? Woe is me. I'm, I'm undone. I've got, I'm nothing. And we say, oh, he had a bad self-image. No, it had nothing to do with that. I think humility comes from getting a proper view of who God is, and then you finally understand a proper view of who you are. And, and you say, 
It's not that I'm down on myself. It's just that he's everything, and I bring nothing to the table. And everything I have and everything I can do is because of his grace and his goodness. It's about him. And it's just a proper view of yourself in light of who God is. And I love this. Now, I want I, I know I get a little, in my own brain, I get geeky about the word studies and stuff, but this one really came alive to me. Because when it says, humble yourself, therefore, Humble yourself is two words in the English. It's one word in the Greek. Um, Tapaino, I think, is how they say it. But here's what's interesting about it. And this is going to mean nothing to you at first. It's in the aorist passive imperative. Okay, so it's an imperative. We know what an imperative statement is, like a command statement. Humble yourself. But it's in the passive now, I didn't really understand what that meant either. That's why I read guys like Kenneth Wiest, who is like the ultimate Greek word study guy. And I'll just quote him since he's the one who knows what he's talking about. It means this. The subject of the verb is passive in the hands of God and acted upon by him. The subject of the verb is passive. So when it says, humble yourself, we are the subject of the verb, and it's, but it's passive. In other words... It's not me making myself humbled. It's me being humbled by God. It's something not I'm doing, but that I'm allowing to be done to me. Does that make sense? This is huge. Because so often we think, you know, like, oh, I've got to humble myself. I've got to humble myself. I've got to humble. It's not about you trying harder to be humble. What he's saying is, let yourself be humbled under the mighty hand of God. God wants to humble you. And now, I will connect you to why I went through all of the context. What was the context and the theme? They were going through hard, hard, hard trials, conflicts. And those conflicts and trials and persecutions and hard things were, was the instrument that God was using to humble them. And so what Peter's saying is he's exhorting them saying, be humbled. Let yourself be humbled. Now, I feel like it's needful at this point to say, why would God do that? Because if you think God's doing that because he's just mean and likes to see his people grovel, you don't understand God. The reason that God is saying through Peter's pen, humble yourself, let be humbled by this. Because he's trying to get them to the place where they can truly cast their cares upon him. Follow me. Until you really Humble yourself or let yourself be humble before God, you will never actually cast your care upon God. Why? Because until I'm actually humbled, I'm still going to try to fix it in my own ability. I'm still going to think it's about me. I'm still going to try to work it out. I'm still going to be the one that, yeah, I'll, t I'll pray about it, but I'm actually going to just worry about it and stress and try to figure it out and manipulate it, and I'll try this. But when you are truly and thoroughly humbled and you fall on your face and you realize this thing is too big for me and I have nothing in my own power to fix it. I can't change the circumstance. I can't change that person. I can't help my marriage. I can't fix my finances. I can't fix the election, though some are trying. I, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, no, I'm not. But Do you understand what I'm saying? In, when you finally realize you can't do it and you lay before God and you realize, but you I humble myself under the mighty hand of God who is able to do those things. 
But you have to come broken and you have to come selfless. And we have to strip ourselves of self-reliance. And if you don't allow yourself to be humbled, then when you go to pray and give your anxieties to God, it's, it's a half job because you're still trying to make it happen in your own effort. It's a hard, you know, like I said earlier, we all like applaud humility, but we never, none of us want to be humiliated. Right? Who likes to be humiliated? Nobody likes to be humiliated. And sometimes trials humiliate you. Because they show you how weak you are. That just opened my eyes. I mean, it really did this week. I, I, I'm teaching this like I've known it in my life. I haven't. I, I discovered the whole verse 6 connected to verse 7 thing like Monday. Like I'm still processing this. But it's never been more real in my life. Because I'm going through things just like you are that bring me to the end of myself where I just say, I can't do this, God. I can't fix this. I can't manipulate it. All I can do is just humble myself under your mighty hand. And where does that leave you? Where does that leave you? If you, you great, you've come to the point you can't fix it. And now you're, you're in this place of total hu- humility and like you can't do anything. Great. Well, praise God it doesn't end there. You go to verse 7. What's my recourse? So now you take that care, you take that anxiety, and you cast it upon the Lord. Now follow me on this, and this won't take quite as long. The word casting, just because I like to look up words, cast, to cast, casting your care, another imperative command, it means to throw, a couple different definitions actually, to throw, and the idea is like you would throw a stone, to throw as if you're getting rid of something, to throw it away, to get rid of it. Also, another translation says it's, it's like depositing something with. And so guys, that's exactly what casting your cares, your anxiety, you take that anxiety, you take that thing that you have no control, of any, control over anyway that's ruining your mental health and that is weighing heavy on you every moment you wake up and is like a cloud over you and you take that thing and you say, God, I can't do this, so I'm giving it, I'm throwing it to you. And notice what it says, casting not just your anxieties, it says casting all your anxieties. The word all there carries the idea of the entirety of the anxieties of your life. It doesn't just mean every little one. He's talking about the entirety of whatever makes you anxious, just completely throwing it upon God, getting rid of it, and it says depositing it to God. In other words, saying, I can't, but so I'm just giving this to you to deal with. Amen? And that's what we get to do. That thing that you came in with tonight, that anxiety that's on your heart, that nagging thing that just keeps coming up and that you get frustrated over. Guys, you let God humble you in that. Voluntarily come to the place saying, okay, God, I'll let, I'll, I, I yield. I can't do it. Whether it's you trying to fix a sin in your life or you trying to, whatever it is. And you say, I can't. And you yield. And then you say, but here's what I am going to do. I'm I'm throwing it to you. I'm giving all of it to you. Doesn't that, by the way, remind you what Paul said in Philippians 4 where he says, be anxious for most things. No, it doesn't say that. Be anxious for nothing. 
but in all things, what? With prayers and supplications and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So that's what happens next. Once the, hum- the humility, the, uh, the humbleness, and the reality of your inability, but his ability comes in, you cast it to him. And then this is the phrase, and we can't be done without looking at this. And he says, casting your anxieties upon him because I love, I'm so glad the Holy Spirit put this little phrase in there because he cares for you. There's a little play on words there. I don't know if you caught it. In the King James, it says, cast your cares upon him. Is is that what it says in the King James? Cares? Because he cares for you. It's a different actual word in the Greek, but it's kind of a play because you're saying, what what you're caring about, what you're anxious about, throw it to the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. He's anxious, if you would, for you. In fact, another Kenneth Wiest quote says this literally means um, for his for it is a care for him concerning you or another way of putting it for you are his concern i love that little one cast your anxieties upon him why because he's your because you're his concern you're you're his care he cares for you so what you care about he cares about now because he cares for you. Does that make sense? It's great having a four-year-old because it's like endless analogies. Um, you know, the other day we're trying to put, you know, he's very concerned because a remote control vehicle was not working and clearly needed new batteries. And I'm trying to do this thing where I'm, I'm trying to show how to put batteries. Actually, this was a remote control. I can't remember what it was. Anyways, we're trying to... We're trying to show them batteries. And, you know, I, I grab the, the, the battery and I open up the back. I'm like, so what you do is you put the, the back part, the flat part on the spring, push that down, then click it in. And that just wasn't computing. And there's just like angst and worry. Just push harder. It'll go in. Like It won't go in. You have to do the process. Spring down, push, click. I mean, it works every time. But... Um, you know, I'm 40 years old, and it's like, I could easily be like, I don't have time for the concerns of a four-year-old changing batteries in a remote control. I don't know why I had to go British on you to, to say that, but the point is, is that all of a sudden, I'm really concerned about getting the batteries changed in this thing. Why? Because my four-year-old is, and he's my concern. And if he's anxious and upset about it, then I'm anxious and upset about it. And I'm gonna, and, but, but the cool thing is he humbled himself under the mighty hand of dad <laughs> who wields all things batteries, you know. Can, and that's a dumb analogy that I'm making up on the fly, so don't judge me. But the point is you say, well, why would God care about what I'm going through? Because you're his care. Because you're his care. Because the mighty hand of God that you've humbled yourself under has a scar in it. For when God so loved you, not when you were a good kid, 
Not when you were trying to be good or trying to be a church person or trying to clean up your life. The Bible declares that God loved us when we were at our very worst. Did you know that God loved you when you were far from him and you were a sinner and you were in rebellion? And since you gave your life to Christ, do you know that he does not love you any more than he did when you were a foul, wretched sinner? His love for you is not, he doesn't love you more now because you're trying harder or that you've been saved. His love for you has been the same since the day you were conceived. He loves you, amen, probably before you were conceived. And he loved you so much that he gave himself. He left the glory of heaven and died on a wretched, rugged cross, naked, hanging, bleeding on a cross, the, the death of a common criminal. But in reality, he was dying and hanging there for your sins and my sins. Guys, if he did that for you, don't you know he cares about the batteries of your life? He cares about the little things. Why would God care about my situation? How do I know? I mean, I know he's able to. I mean, God can do anything, but why would he actually care about? Because you're his care. You're the one he loves. And if you care about it, small or big, then he cares about it because you are his concern. And there's nothing that concerns him more than you. Amen? How's that? So this is an easy application because you make applications based off verbs and command statements, and we have two of them. So here they are. Here's the, command. Here's the, here's the application. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God Oh, I, I didn't talk about the last part of that verse, but it does say in proper time that he might exalt you. There's another plan. words. You become low so that in due time he'll lift you up. If you try to lift yourself up, you'll get put low. But if you lower yourself and let yourself be humbled, God says, ooh, I love that, and I'm gonna, in, the, in the right time, I'm going to lift you up. But the point is, is that, that there's our applications. Humble yourself and cast your burden. So we're just about done, believe it or not, early. It's a one-time thing, so don't get too excited. Um, rhetorically, I'm asking this. What did you, what'd you come in here with tonight? Remember when I said at the beginning, there's some of us, I mean, all of us can go like, mm, okay, good, interesting Bible study, and write some notes down. But for some, tonight's more than a Bible study. For some of you, you got some anxiety, some very specific, heavy things that you came in here with. You didn't show it because you put on your church face and smiled, and we're all glad for that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I should not say half the things that pop into my brain. Um, but you came in with the, something super heavy in all seriousness, and that I'm not making light of. What is it? A loved one? Health issue? Wayward kid? Finances? Besetting sin? Future? I don't know. 101 things, right? Humble yourself tonight. Take some, we're going to take some time in just a minute. It's not going to be a big drawn-out thing, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to just do it. Just do what the Bible says. Humble yourself tonight. Get on your face before God and say, Lord, I can't. I can't do this. 
and I'm done trying, I am at the end of myself. And if you're not there, tell them that you want to be there. But say, Lord, I'm going to really finally come to the place where I just give this thing over to you. And then take that thing and throw it at him. <laughs> just say, God, so, so I can't do it anymore, but you can. So I can't, I'm giving you this now. And however you want to pray that, however you want to speak that to God in your own words, but, but you give it to him. You know what the result of that is when that really happens? Peace. There's a, you know, I, I, we've all got our things, and I've found this to be true in my life. When I've got something really heavy that I'm praying about, and I've prayed about it, and I've cast my burden upon the Lord, there comes a time where it's like that peace comes, and you know what I do? Genius Jason, I feel guilty for not worrying about it because it feels irresponsible. The responsible thing to do here would be to continue to worry. It is absolutely crazy that I would just let this thing go with God. I've, clearly what I need to do is stew on it longer. And I, and I just sometimes have to say, what are you doing? The peace you're enjoying is the peace he's giving you because he's got it and you don't have to carry it. But I'm just like, you know, I, I just want to keep carrying it, keep carrying it. Because I think I'm so important. But you know what? When God comes in and you give it to him, there will be a peace that floods your soul. I'm not saying everything will be done right away in his time. But he'll take it if you'll give it. Amen? That's it. I think I'm just going to grab the guitar. Just give us a moment to, to pray in the quietness of our own hearts. Is that okay? Can I grab your guitar? So, um, yeah, let's pray and they'll do that. Father, thank you so much for your word. And I pray that you would allow these things to sink in and God, that we'd make application for them in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.